Welcome to episode 339 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on June 16th, 2023. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss the topic or recent news and how it relates to you. This week, the internet is breaking again. Reddit is on fire, Google Domains is being sold, and AWS broke fast food. However, in Microsoft news, Azure AD Graph is still retiring with a modified timeline. There is a new Microsoft Intune PowerShell script library, and collaborative notes in Microsoft Teams is in public preview. So let's get on with the show. Look at that. We kind of just that easy. Sort of half know what we're doing every once in a while. <laughs> Maybe ish. Kind of, sort of. You know who doesn't know what they're doing? Am I supposed to? politically correct or am I supposed to guess or am I supposed to just pull something out of the top of my head? I mean, any of the above would be valid, but I would posit (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Steve Huffman is having (laughs) a very strange week. The Reddit thing is disappointing to me. Like, I'm a big fan of some of the third party apps, especially one of the bigger ones that is announced it is shutting down on June 30th, which is Apollo, which is an iOS Reddit application that was just nicely designed. It worked well, never really crashed, had awesome little things for like media controls, like, you know, like scrub your finger across a video or an animated GIF and it would just scrub to the location. And uh, it, it was just like a really nice application, had great multi-Reddit management, all sorts of things. Anyway, Reddit has gone down the path where, and, and they've been on this path for a while, where they, they want to IPO at some point. They're mainly funded by investors. They're not a profitable company, so it makes it hard to IPO and go to a public offering yep. in the United States if you are not a profitable company. So now it's kind of like profits by any measure. And for Reddit, that means starting to charge for access to their API, which I don't have any problem with. I don't think any reasonable person out there does have an issue with that, right? Like if you're consuming from on top of something, there's got to be a logical limit to it. And there has to be some skin in the game for everybody, right? Like right. If I'm an infrastructure provider and I'm providing you data as a consumer of said data, if I'm not able to advertise to you or do other things, like I'm going to have to charge you some money just to keep the lights on. If anything, break even and, and maybe have some margin on top of it. And, you know, Reddit's in the same boat. So they have an API. That API was written in the way back when, hasn't been meaningfully improved from everything I know about it in years now. Like it's had additive things put on top of it, but they kind of haven't fixed the core of it. And it was made for things like bots on Reddit and and for the Reddit app itself, like their official app for Android and iOS. It was never necessarily intended for third-party consumers, especially at the scale they grew to, like the, these third-party apps and the number of requests they made. So, okay, you have a third-party app ecosystem, you're not charging for your API, you need to flip to a model where you charge for set API. Unfortunately, the amount of money that 
Reddit decided to charge for that API, and you know the the pricing per API request or per bucket of a thousand requests, things like that, ended up being astronomically high and kicked a bunch of apps basically off the platform. It made them feel like made the, made the developers of those applications like Kristen Selig, who does uh, Apollo, the Apollo, the folks yep. who do Reddit is fun, Sync is going away. There, there, there's a couple other ones that are out there. They all basically said like. No, we can't do this, and we can't do it on 30 days' notice, which is basically what Reddit gave them. You know, some applications like Apollo make billions of requests a month. I know billions with a B sounds like a big number. It's really not too big a number, considering the number of users Reddit has and likely the user base of something like Apollo and the actions you take, right? Like, you think about like, loading a new page in a client that has all the comments on a Reddit post, well, there's an API to retrieve comments. There's an API to upvote, to downvote, to bookmark, to to do all these things. So those are all individual API calls and, and they add up. And the way Reddit was thinking about pricing didn't align with the expectations or what was manageable for those third-party providers. So I think Apollo, like the quoted number from the developer was they were going to go from zero dollars for Reddit API spend to something on the order of $20 million a year, Yeah, which is nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. And I saw, again, I'm with you, charge for the API, it obviously cost them hardware. And I think I saw from the creator of Apollo that People have tried to do some rust estimates and figure each API call is maybe costing Reddit itself on the magnitude of like 12 cents per call. And they were marking it up to like 250. It was like a massive increase from what the estimated spend actually was. <laughs> it's on the order of like, so every user is going to be different. Like, right. you know, I know for like the way I use Reddit, I would be on Reddit in the morning and, and maybe at night, you know, as I wanted to read news at the end of the day, things like that. A moderator could be on there way more than I am and they're doing more than reading. Like they're clicking around, they're firing off more API actions, yep. things like that. So it's tough to break it down to like, a user or really like a persona, but you know, I guess broadly, like per user per day API cost or per user per month API cost. So the way Reddit was thinking about that was, you know, their app, which is pretty crappy these days. Like they actually bought a third party app years ago and then they ruined it. Kind of like Twitter did, right? Like when when, when <laughs> they took over Tweety and, and all that stuff. So it's what corporations do like they take good things and they ruin them and they make them ugly and and they don't make it so people don't want to use them but uh, even for their own stuff they're calling out these third party apps and saying well like these third party apps aren't performant so I don't think that's the case. Like from all accounts, these third-party apps have reached out to Reddit many times and said, "Like, hey, your API isn't good in this way. Can you improve it? Or can you tell us how to make this better?" Like, we don't want to be throttled by you because Reddit had throttling mechanisms and and other things in place the whole time. So yeah, I, th I think some of the third-party developers estimated, you know, it's basically like. 24 cents, less than a dollar per user per month in, in API costs. And then Reddit was kind of coming back with something that really aligned to about 
250 a month per user. So if you think about having an app like Apollo, which charges a subscription, great. So now you have to charge not just 250 a month because you got to cover your API costs. Right. You also have to cover your development costs plus any margin or things that you need to live. So you go all of a sudden from really not even like a you know, a minimal subscription amount a month, but you've probably got to overcharge by a bunch because you're going to have that mix of heavy users and lighter users and things like that. Like, it probably wasn't too insane to say, like, oh, you're going to have to charge $10 a month for this Reddit app. And that starts to become unsustainable pretty quickly in like a whole bunch of dimensions. So those app developers, they just spun out. There's still a bunch of blackouts on Reddit. A bunch of subreddits have locked and aren't allowing comments. Some have unlocked and made themselves readable and they're not allowing comments. Reddit at this point is coming back and saying, hey, if you're a community that's shut down, we are going to potentially flag you as in violation of the terms of service and we'll find new moderators for your subreddits, which I think is like a crazy step for them to take. Like, I don't know. They really lost sight that, you know, much like Twitter, like they were providing a a free service. Like they 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 should have like maybe thought about other ways to monetize that or to make it leaner. And really what drives Reddit is community. And the community does all that stuff for free. There's no such thing as a paid moderator on Reddit. So if you go onto like the funny subreddit, like R funny, like the moderators for R funny who put up with all the crap, go in there every day, they moderate all the spam, they ban people, they love people and they call those things like they do that for free. And you can't run a forum for that size for free in many places. But Reddit was able to do it, right? Because you have users who are passionate about the community. Yep. And now they're going to lose all of that. Like uh, I saw today some articles on moderators starting to leave and other things. So it will be a shame if Reddit goes away, much like I was sad when Twitter goes away. But once again, I have way more time in my day because I'm not <laughs> spending like 30 minutes to an hour in the morning just browsing Reddit and seeing what I missed or trying to see what's going on. It was interesting. I was watching one of uh, the Linus Tech Tip videos too, where they were talking about Reddit. And I even think about it from the podcast, right? Like we have stuff on Discord, we've done stuff on Twitter, Mastodon, we've tried stuff on Reddit, never really gotten anything there. But they even talked about how all of these shakeups recently, like with Twitter, with Reddit, with some of those, how stable it's been for a while. But you think back, like, and they were bringing up all these different, all the different tech that we used, like, think high school, college. I remember, what was it, Zanga? That was like the blogging and you had MySpace (laughs) and you had all these different online community services that we've gone through cycles like this where you get certain platforms, they get really big, really fast, stay very relevant for a few years and then just kind of fade away. And recently, like you look at the Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. Some of those have been around for so long that I think people have forgotten kind of the cycle that maybe you and I went through 20-ish years ago when we were in high school and college. And it was just interesting to kind of see how maybe some of this is starting to repeat itself with some of these services. (laughs) Yeah, the thing that probably hurts the most there is even if you are not a consumer of said service, like you might not know what Reddit is or you might not be on it day to day, I can almost 
guarantee you, if you've ever gone out and searched for something that's maybe a little more esoteric, right? Like you could be a Jeep owner and you're really into CJs from the 1970s. There's a forum for those Jeep owners from exactly that year that can tell you like, oh yeah, you need this part or here's where you can get that thing to be successful. You're a ham radio operator and you you need to go swap parts with somebody for this dying art. Like can pretty much guarantee you like there's a forum for that on Reddit. And a lot of their traffic was driven inorganically through things like Google searches. And now like if you go to Google this week and you start searching for things where you normally would have ended up on Reddit for your answer, you're not really able to end up on Reddit because the SEO rankings have fallen because everything's been shut down. Or if you go there, it's probably not going to be what you thought it was going to be. Like you could land in a cache Google link and all of a sudden you're in this lockdown Reddit that you can't actually see anything in. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. We'll keep an eye on it with the podcast. Like what's kind of next for some of these things? There's a bunch of different things that are trying to spin up, but All of that aside, Scott, I don't think you were going to say the Reddit CEO didn't know what they were doing when you started off that question like (laughs) 10 minutes ago. I wasn't going to go down that path, but it it was a good good one to go down. So So we should keep going down like stupid companies doing stupid things, or I guess companies doing things that Scott, we're going to be here for a long time. Don't make any sense. (laughs) Our friends at Google, you know, there's kind of this trope out there that for every one service that Google turns on, they shut down, you know, like 10 more of them. Yep. And it, I, I'm really surprised that some things like Gmail haven't shut down over time and, and Google's kept them around. I'm glad they do because like I'm a, a prolific Gmail user. But one of the things that did happen is Google Domains, I had no idea, didn't see this one coming, is shutting down. And they're selling all their assets over to Squarespace. So I, I think this is interesting for several reasons. One of which is like Google Domains, just a few weeks ago, like within the past couple of months, they announced a bunch of new TLDs that they were going to allow, like .zip and things like that, and, and some of the kind of ruckus that came up around that. And now yep. they're just like, they're done. They're throwing in the towel. So if you're a Google Apps customer, anything like that, like you had your domain registered through Google, through those offerings, like congrats, you are now a Squarespace customer. I think that's interesting. Like I, I typically don't think of Squarespace as a domain registrar, but they just picked up a probably what's a pretty decently sized customer base. Like I know quite a few people personally who have bought domains on Google, like, and lots of them did it because of things like those TLDs that they had, those top level domains that were a little bit more unique and that you could get into. I don't know. It should be interesting to watch and see how Squarespace handles it. Squarespace is an awesome company. Like if anybody's ever done like a CMS with something with them or anything like that, like they're really good at it. But uh, Google too is getting out of a game. Yeah, this one will be interesting. I did find an article here that 10 million. It's not. I don't. I'm trying to think like what would I have expected? 10 million customer domains hosted on the service. So not necessarily 10 million customers. I mean. Personally, when I go, I own like 30 <laughs> domains. I'm probably I was gonna a say, little excessive, like... <laughs> but I mean, 10 million customer domains could legitimately only be about a million customers, maybe a 5 million. That doesn't, to me, with the size of Google, that doesn't seem like a huge number. 
because you still are competing against people like GoDaddy, right? GoDaddy is still huge, I think, as a network services. I've actually flipped all of my domain registrations. I buy all of mine and have all mine now through Cloudflare because they're actually pretty cheap and I can't stand GoDaddy. But it doesn't, I mean, to me, again, 10 million customer domains does not sound like it was actually that sizable of a business unit for them. (laughs) No, sometimes I don't think you want to be in businesses because they're big. Sometimes you want to be in businesses because they make sense. So if you think about all the other things that Google does, selling ads, web hosting, like they do do those kinds of things, right? Like the G Suite, Google Workspaces, G Suite, like all those right. kinds of things. Like you want it to be really easy for a G Suite customer to come in and pick up a new custom domain for their email. And it was unique, right? Like I think about the way Microsoft does it with the GoDaddy relationship. Like that's horrible. Well, like, you can still no, buy domains no. from Microsoft. Did you know you can buy domains from Microsoft? You can. Everybody I run into, yeah, but it, like the path you're led down, like you end up in a oh, weird, weird GoDaddy thing with a no, go, with, it's with actually a GoDaddy straight plan. through Microsoft. So not Office 365. You can go into Azure, and I think, oh, if you go to domain names in Azure, nope, it's not domain names. See, this is why it's weird. There is a place <laughs> in Azure where you can purchase domains in Microsoft. Like you actually buy them from Microsoft and they end up on your Microsoft bill. It's not a GoDaddy one. In Azure, yes. You've got like Azure DNS, things like that. Like, yeah, like there are registrar services within Azure. I think it's just a weird place, right? Like there's now going to be friction there for their customers where there wasn't friction before. Like if they were willing to maintain it, why not do it, right? And keep the business and have it going. Yeah, Cloudflare is really good. Like you said, like we've got some folks in the chat saying Cloudflare is good. I use Namecheap for a bunch of stuff. Hover is good. A lot of it depends sometimes on like the TLDs you want and <laughs> just how, how how easy you want some of that stuff to, uh, right. to be done. I did see um, one comment from some other people I work with that said Google's in the business of starting services, not maintaining services and improving services. So they started it and got bored with it and just sell it because nobody wants to maintain. They want to come up with something new. Very much, right? It's a, I, I get it. Like it's how careers are made. You know, nobody keeps getting promoted over running the domain, <laughs> domain service for 10 years. You want to move on and do and do the next thing. I, I think that was like my comment earlier. Like, you know, for every one thing they spin up, there's like 10 things that shut down. And at some point, like that perception starts to stick, right? Like perception becomes reality. So hopefully they can get better at it. But now we've ranted about two things shutting down and all that. We should probably talk about something like relevant. So I have, no, (laughs) well, it's relevant, but something else is shutting down, just not on the timeline that maybe we had initially thought. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. 
Visit them at intelligink.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligink focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. So Azure AD Graph, Scott, we have talked about this. The Azure AD Graph PowerShell Azure AD Graph was going to shut down on June 30 of 2023. So like two weeks from now. And I think this was just announced yesterday. Yeah, June 15th. This has now been pushed back. So instead of shutting down on June 30, 2023, we now have until a couple different timelines. Licensing assignments, PowerShell commandlets for AD user licenses, MSL user licenses, some of that type of stuff. All of the migration to the new PowerShell module is September 30 of this year. So we get an extra June, July, September, three months out of that. And then the legacy PowerShell modules, MS Online, Azure AD, Azure AD Preview, we now have until March 30 of 2024. So we got another nine months out of those. It kind of sounds like there was just not quite, maybe they hadn't quite gotten to the point they wanted to in terms of feature parity and having everything there and getting people moved over. So we get a little more time before all these older PowerShell modules (laughs) go away. It amazes me how painful it is in the cloud to move folks along to the next thing. From the outside, as somebody who kept up with the news, I always looked at these timelines and I'm like, three years is like forever. Should customers be able to move faster than that? And now that I'm on the inside, (laughs) see how it goes, I'm like, Man, like I get it. Like I understand, like why it's three years because th- those three years are a war of attrition the entire time, trying to socialize these things with folks. Here. Like I think I lose sight of it sometimes. Like for all the things that we go out and we pay attention to, uh, Azure updates, RSS feeds, blah blah blah. Like all these yep. different things. Like nobody else does that. <laughs> like <laughs> no customers do it. Like even if you tell them about it, like the person who heard it might not work at that company like two months later. So the whole thing is lost to tribal knowledge anyway. And it's really kind of crazy to watch some of these things go. And ultimately, like the line in the sand is like you break customers, right? And nobody wants to do that. So you kind of bend over backwards based on your telemetry and how things are going and and you try and turn it around. So I'd imagine this is one of those scenarios, right? Like somebody's looking at the usage and saying like, oh, crap, we can't actually go. We can't do this yet. Do you think, though, part of this is Microsoft has shot themselves in the foot? From the standpoint of, I feel like this happens with every single deprecation. That we're going to deprecate it on this time, but we were just kidding. We're going to give you longer. So to some extent, customers have gotten in the habit of, well, Microsoft maybe really doesn't mean the date they said because they always extend it. It's like the whole boy who cried wolf thing of, we're going to deprecate on this date, but... Not really, because you see them do this, right? You see them, they announce a date, and then it gets close, and they push it off, and they push it off, and sometimes they push it off two or three times, and then when it still finally gets to that date, everybody starts screaming about, 
why isn't this getting pushed out? You're actually deprecating it now. We need more time. <laughs> and it's like they gave you more time three times. Maybe if they started, or maybe I'm just getting tired of my kids not listening to me in the same way. But like if they actually stuck to their timeline, people are screaming and arguing and complaining no matter what. Maybe if they just stick to their timeline, people would start to get that there are no extensions. So get your act together and get it done at on the timeline that Microsoft said, or it's going to break and we don't need to keep having all these crazy six month or nine month extensions because <laughs> frankly, I'll forget about it now. Like I was actually working with a bunch of clients to get this moved over. Yes, I still need to do that. But now in my head, I'm like, I've got another three months or nine months or six months and then it'll still come down to crunch time. I don't know. Yeah. If you are passionate about it and you think it's something you can drive, I'm pretty sure there's a role <laughs> in Microsoft where, you know, somebody is ready to get that rocking. I think I've been pretty lucky. Like I I don't know. I don't I don't know that I have the right mindset to walk in and kind of understand all the constraints on something like this. Like I've only had to depre- deprecate things like SDKs, which I think are a little bit easier, particularly cuz like most of our SDKs are developed in the open, so they're all on GitHub. You know, we can communicate that in a more open way, I think. Yeah. And then customers have the opportunity to carry it forward on their own. Like I had to deprecate our PHP SDK for storage a couple months ago. I think that was something I did like late last year. And, you know, like it wasn't a fun experience to not delight customers because like, oh, this thing is going away. But we were able to give customers a clear signal like, hey, this is going away. It's going away on this timeline. We are definitive in that. Like, we're not going to extend it. It's done. Like, here's what you can do today. And, you know, we've already had portions of our community like pick up what was our PHP SDK, go ahead and fork it and start to work on it a different place and uh, like a relatively rapid manner. And that's totally different than something like this, right? Like shutting down a whole API surface and just you know <laughs> effectively turning it off right like like that api endpoint is gonna go away so it'll be interesting to see where some of that goes i did see one from the intune folks so we're talking about intune on here quite a bit like you tend to bring it up every now and then yep so the intune folks have gone ahead and spun up some new repositories with some PowerShell examples. So they're getting away from kind of the ADOL thing and moving over to Graph as well. So there used to be some GitHub repos out there on from the Intune team in the Microsoft org. And now there's just kind of this one catch-all web, uh, web page. So if you go to aka.ms forward slash Intune scripts, that'll take you to a web page. It's got like three simple buttons on it. And you can just say like, okay, I'm interested in the Graph PowerShell Intune samples. They actually have Bash samples as well, which is nice. So if you're like a Linux, Mac customer, that's all out there and ready to go. And then the archive, much like the SDK that I was talking about earlier that I deprecated, like it's not going away. It is on GitHub. It'll remain there. It just won't have any new commits to it. And, you know, it'll get a message that says it's deprecated and there's newer stuff over here kind of thing. Very cool. I will go dig through this. I'm sure there's some fun scripts in here I can play with. I think it's always interesting to see like how the folks who make the service build these things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. Maybe I'll have to go play with these and we can like do an episode on our favorite Intune PowerShell script samples. Or I can do an episode on my favorites. Or just walking through some of what's in here. 
because they do have quite a few scripts in here, just kind of diving through it. Application saying device config stuff, enrollment scripts. Yeah, interesting. So I have another one, Scott. Do we have time for one more news announcement? Yeah, for you. We've got all the time in the world. For me? Okay. Collaborative notes in Microsoft Teams meetings are now in public preview. This one is interesting. We could maybe do a longer episode as this comes out, but collaborative notes in Microsoft Teams meetings now are in public preview. Essentially what this means, and we actually have it in ours, is that if you go click on the whole, go into a meeting and click on notes, instead of using the old wiki thing in Teams that it used to, this now uses a loop component in the Microsoft Teams meetings to do collaborative notes. So you can go add your, you can go add task lists, you can go add notes, you can just start typing, bullet lists, comments, dividers, tag people, progress trackers, all that good stuff that you would be able to do in loop, you can now do in these collaborative notes. They had to come up with something because a few months back, they announced wikis and teams were going away, but they were not getting replaced with loop. They were getting replaced with OneNote. Mm-hmm. So this puts people in a really weird spot. I personally, I don't like this. Now my meeting notes for all of my meetings are going to be loop components. But by default now, my notes tab in a team where maybe all these said meetings are occurring are going to be in OneNote. So OneNote's the default note place for Teams, yet Loop is the default stuff for notes related to a meeting. The one saving grace-ish I would say they got with all of this, and this also interests me for more than just the collaborative notes piece, is that coming this fall... The integration of loop components with OneNote will enable you to seamlessly incorporate your collaborative meeting notes into your OneNote notebook. So this means loop components next three to six months are going to start showing up in OneNote, which I really like. I have kind of shifted back towards OneNote for a lot of my work notes, but I don't use task lists in OneNote because they sync with nothing. But now if I can go add loop components, not just for meeting notes, but if they allow me to add a task list loop component, all of that in OneNote, I can do task lists and a OneNote component, sync them up with to-do or planner and some of that. So well, I, in a way, I would have liked to see OneNote kind of completely replaced with loop if it could achieve that. I think this is also a good option of being able to take some of these loop components and put them in OneNote. Frankly, I'm surprised it's taking until this fall to do it. I would have expected it a little sooner with how much they integrated components everywhere else. But it is coming. And I mean, I don't think it's a half bad solution. It just, or it's kind of the only solution they had given the corner they put themselves in with two different note solutions, both used within Teams. <laughs> a couple of things to think about on this one. So 
like you talked about, like the disjointed nature of OneNote versus Loop still exists. I think the other thing that's very real is the permission aspect of Loop components again, strikes here. So I can't be the only person where we have a Teams chat in a meeting and then I might try and bring somebody else into that chat later or like, hey, I need to like share the results of this kind of thing. Still extremely nebulous, extremely hard to do with loop components. And I think OneNote, like until they solve this whole permission thing with loop components, OneNote's going to be a mess too, right? Like what's going to happen when you embed a loop component that you and I have access to? And then, you know, we've got uh, Joey in the chat with us. And we want to share it with Joey and, and Joey can't get in then. Like that would be very sad and we, we don't want that to happen. And then the last part is they really didn't talk about like roadmap and what's next. <laughs> and I think that's a little weird because like one of the areas I think they, they fell down was they talk about like supported clients and platforms. This doesn't work on iOS or Android. So you cut out all your mobile users right off the bat. And I find myself on like Teams on mobile more and more and more these days just as like I don't want to be locked into like these same four walls all the time like I know if I have a meeting where you know I'm not the scribe or the heavy note taker like I'm going to be off on my phone and then when folks are working in those notes I don't get to see them (laughs) yes you know where else this falls apart that frankly I'm surprised also isn't fixed yet is guests external guest users that you invite to Teams and you want to do the whole collaborative meeting notes things. Loop components or loop in loop in general does not work with guest users. I've been in meetings too where like now my meeting notes thing is just completely gone because I'm a guest and an external tenant (laughs) or yeah, it's like it all just breaks as soon as you introduce those guest users now or external users. All right. So Loop is still broken. We talked about that. Reddit's broken. Google Domains is broken. Though The whole internet's just breaking down again. And we'll come back in like six months and talk about how it's still burning. It's because AWS East 1 went down and that breaks the whole internet, Scott. Uh, it does. I don't know if I can share it in the blog post, but there is this great little picture. I think I sent it to you the other day yes. in, in one of the chats we have. I'll, I'll put it in the we chat have it. over we here. We will absolutely put, we can put that in the show notes. I will put that in the show notes if you do not. All right. Uh, <laughs> I see how it is. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> AWS US East one went down the other day, and so many services take a dependency on AWS as a hyperscaler, uh, especially here in the US. That particularly when that region goes down, like bad things happen. <laughs> yes, I. So I won't lie. When that happened, I quick did some googling to see if it went down for the same reason Azure went down, like a few days before. If some nefarious person was trying to increase the amount of traffic to an endpoint. Although it was not confirmed it was nefarious, the official stuff I saw from Microsoft was they had an unusual spike in traffic, I think. (laughs) Take that as you will, but that is why, yes, I, I don't, we've said it before, I don't envy these cloud providers. They all have their bad days, and both of them have had bad days in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, at least Microsoft's was only a portal going down. It wasn't like the underlying like management plane or anything right. like that. But uh, so, so AWS is a little, little worse. My kids couldn't order the McDonald's that day, so they were kind of oh, sad. Was McBroken still down? Remember that episode? 
to check hey, ice yeah. cream. Yeah. I, I, oh man. It's an interesting thing, right? Like like AWS and, and all these hyperscalers, like they used to be used by I think more like internet first kind of companies, cloud native, right? Like Spotify stops working. It could be because GCP broke and, and something happened over there. But more and more like user-facing consumer things in the appification of the world, like the US, like McDonald's, Taco Bell, Burger King, like all that stuff, like they're all cloud-driven. <laughs> and when the cloud goes down, they have a bad day too. Yes, absolutely. But with that, Scott, we should probably wrap up for the day. I don't know. I think I might have another meeting. Do I have another meeting? I do have another meeting. I have another <laughs> meeting in that five out. minutes. So we should probably wrap up so I can go to my other meeting. You can either go keep working or probably keep working. We will say yeah, that. I'm going to go work. keep I'm, working. I'm going to keep working. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Well, enjoy, Scott. Thank you for the episode about everything being broken. And we will talk to you next week. I think for at least another week or two, we're back to our normal recording on Fridays. Until one of us decides to leave on vacation again. Sounds good. All right, Thanks, Ben. And enjoy your Father's Day. You too. All right, I will. And everybody that's listening, I hope you had a good Father's Day because this comes out after it. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, Scott. Bye, Ben. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.